It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all you D-heads, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And this week, for the week of March 13th, 2014, show number 66, we're going to give you a little bit of luck. A little bit of the luck of the Irish, as we're going to tackle the unexplained. With leprechauns, the luck of the Irish, maybe some black holes in outer space. Yes, you heard me right. All the things unexplained with St. Patrick's Day right around the corner. We're going to tackle all kinds of fun as we're going to give you a little bit of luck with St. Patrick's Day. And with leprechauns comes the unexplained. And many things are unexplained like black holes and outer space. And with us here this week, we are going to have none other than Captain Star from Disney's cult classic, The Black Hole. Tom McLaughlin stopping in here at the show. That's right, Tom McLaughlin's going to be stopping in and chatting with all of you D-heads about this cult Disney classic, The Black Hole. You may also remember that he is the writer, director, and actor behind many cult favorites from Friday the 13th Part 6, Date with an Angel, A Fairy Tale, Freddy's Nightmares, and many other things. In addition, he is also the lead singer of the awesome band, The Sloths. So there's a lot of things going on, and Tom McLaughlin's going to be stopping in and talking about all those fun things from his music, his work, writing, directing, acting, and also being right at the back door of Disneyland throughout his entire life. In addition, we have the D-Team back. Yes, no show would be complete without the D-Team, and you have questions, and Aaron has answers. As Aaron's going to dip his hand into that virtual mailbag and answer all those questions in I Want to Know. There is all kinds of news hot off the D-Wire, with Figment, the Dreamfinder, all kinds of executives, Disney Channel news, an all-new music CD, and more, all happening this week within the Walt Disney Company. So, all of you D-heads, it is time to get ready. We are here with our all-new DOD 76 Studios that we've been talking about for weeks. We're officially launching the new studios here this week. We've upgraded, we've done a lot of work here in the studios, and now it is here. So let's officially kick off St. Patrick's Day style, show number 66, for the week of March 13th, 2014, by venturing into the black hole, and maybe with a little bit of Irish luck, we're going to have some fun along the way. Be right back, all of you D-heads. Watch out for Vincent and Captain Star along the way. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one. Her eyes are sparkling full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one. My smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my pretty Irish girl. Have you ever seen a seagull a flying o'er the heather or the crimson sails on Galway Bay a fisherman unfurled Oh, the earth is filled with beauty and it's gathered all together in the form 
face and dainty grace of a pretty Irish girl. Oh, she's my dear, my darling one, her eyes are sparkling full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. Oh, she's my dear, my darling one, my smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my pretty Irish girl. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one, her eyes are sparkling full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one, my smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my pretty Irish girl. Love the ground she walks upon My pretty Irish girl Cooper And their dealings with Dressed envelope to Davis and Kirk Right down that From the Black Hole Collection Comes Rio Control Vincent Superior species of intelligence Vincent, I'm sending you on a dangerous mission Batteries not included. When you talk in here, proceed to kitchen. It sounds as if Vincent is talking. When Vincent talks, everyone listens. Why, Vincent? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And what danger threatens? Sound the alarm. When you get a job done, call a robot. Well done, Vincent. Radio control, Vincent. Assembly required by Migo.
Hey, this is John Morris, Andy from the Toy Story Trilogy, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. I can't believe it. It's Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, so I'm back, and I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 66 for the week of March 13th, 2014, as we cross all kinds of dimensions of the unexplained. As this week with St. Patrick's Day right there in our eyesight, coming up next week, we're going to be looking for leprechauns, having a little bit of the luck of the Irish, as we also cross all kinds of space-time continuum in search of the black hole here this week as we are welcoming Tom McLaughlin. Yes, Captain Star from Disney's called Classic The Black Hole. He's also the writer, director, and actor behind many different cult classics like Date With an Angel, Friday the 13th Part 6, A Fairy Tale, Freddy's Nightmares, and more. And Tom is going to be stopping in here very shortly. And he has some fun things to tell us because he literally grew up at the back door of Disneyland. So get ready for that, D-Heads. It is exciting. We have the D-Team here and all kinds of fun. So before I jump into news hot off the D-Wire here this week, I do want to mention all the different ways you can stay connected here at Disney On Demand. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of complete archives of all of our shows, the latest news feed, connect up with the D-Team, and more right there at our official website, DizRadio, D-I-Z Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can friend us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and more. Just search Disney Blue, B-L-U, or Diz Radio. And remember, you can always subscribe to our latest shows on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio. So, all of you D-heads, with that said, let's just jump right into news. Hot off the D-wire here this week, and we have all kinds of fun, and one of those I am very excited for. And how about the all-new Disney Kingdom's comic, Dreamfinder and Figment. Yes, Dreamfinder and Figment are back. Now, you may remember last year when we had the original Dreamfinder stop here on the show and talk about what it was like being at Epcot Center back in the day with Journey into Imagination. Well, as many Disney fans know, the parks, the music, we've all longed for the return of our favorite characters from those early days of Epcot Center. And yes, I am saying... Epcot Center. We all recall those days with Journey into Imagination with our good friends Figment and the Dreamfinder and there was just something special that was cutting edge at the time looking back at places in a certain era of Epcot that brings different memories and gems that are instilled in your mind forever. We all remember that neon rainbow walk and you know come on you can sing along one little spar yeah I'm not the best singer but hey you know you're finishing this song in your head but moving forward to 2014 and coming up This June, there is a brave new direction for Disney as it's going to expand the story of Figment and Dreamfinder in an all-new comic collaboration 
between Marvel and Walt Disney Imagineering. That is right, they are going to maintain the essence of the characters, and now we can find out the true origins of Figment and the Dreamfinder. And as I expect, we're going to see a lot of steampunk. I love steampunk. It is on the horizon now. I've loved it for years. I'm a personal fan of that style, but let's just say we're going to see uh, all kinds of contraptions, inventions, and all kinds of tinker toys to be developed. But they're going to have an origin story in an all-new comic book miniseries that is going to be part of the Disney Kingdom's comic line. Now, the Disney Kingdom's comic line is going to kick off with Figment number one. Now, it was officially released on the D23 website, and it is coming this June. Now, might I add, you might want to stand in line for this one. I see it selling out fast because, come on. It's Figment. It's the Dreamfinder. It's a brave new vision for it, and I'm excited. I mean, it, it's going to be fun. It has some awesome writers behind it and some great people, awesome artwork behind it, and I'm excited. It's coming June 14th, so get ready. The all-new Disney Kingdom's comic, Figment number 1. Now, since we are talking about Disney and reinventing itself, how about Deconstructed? Yes, the world's hottest new DJs, producers, are going to remix Disney classics coming April 22nd of this year. Now, Walt Disney Records is going to release Deconstructed, a comprehensive compilation of classic and current music from the long-standing Disney catalog, remixed by today's hottest DJs and producers from across the globe. Now, this is going to be a 14-track collection featuring reworks of material from multiple Academy Award-winning films, like The Lion King, Frozen, as well as two of Daft Punk's contributions to Tron Legacy. That's right, anything with Daft Punk in it, it's going to be awesome, seriously. Now, EDM superstars are among the electronic dance music luminaries that have lent their skills to these timeless favorites. Now, the reworked material ranges from more recent heartwarmers like Monster University, The Incredibles, and The Muppets to the beloved, long-lasting sounds of Hawaiianette from Annette Funicello. You can't go wrong with that. And music inspired by the original Mickey Mouse cartoons and the enduring theme from Disneyland's theme park. Yes, the Main Street Electrical Parade. I think this is going to be fantastic. If you're looking for something new and fresh, I mean, come on, we play everything here at Diz Radio. Everything from classics, rarities, to new versions of songs you may not have heard. So I am excited for this album to come out. Now, the blending of the orchestral world of Disney with the synthetic sounds of the electronic world is going to bring out all kinds of fresh new flavors in music. Now, there is going to be all kinds of things with Circle of Life and more. Now, if you are looking for something that's going to be slightly different, this is going to be your best outlet, let's just say that. Now, as they have officially released, we feel incredibly honored to have remixed an Oscar-winning song, though I don't know yet when I started. Now, the complete list of songs is listed on our website, but let's just say you're going to be able to see things like Circle of Life. You're also going to have Derezzed, yes, the Daft Punk classic from Tron Legacy. You're going to have Let It Go, Roar, Party Source Overflow, Uncle Reconstruction, and many others. I mean, seriously, the list goes on and on. We have the full list right there on our official website, but Deconstructed is going to be hitting April 22nd everywhere you want to get it. Music, uh, stores, CDs, as well as digitally, so get ready for that. Now, continuing on, we've talked about bringing things back from the grave with the Dreamfinder and Figment and all kinds of fun. Well, how about Denver Comic-Con? Now, I'm nowhere close to Denver, but the Denver Comic-Con is going to host a 20th anniversary 
are Gargoyles. Yes, I love Gargoyles. It was an awesome animated series. I probably loved it more than I should, being I was on the cusp of graduating high school, but the Denver Comic Con is going to host a 20th anniversary reunion of many of the talents who worked on the Gargoyles animated series, with actors Sally Richardson-Whitfield, Tom Hernandez, and the series creator Greg Wiseman. Now, the con is also going to feature a Mass Effect session with Raphael Sabarge and Mark Meir and Kimberly Brooks, with more guests being announced every single day. Now, as they mentioned, the Denver Comic-Con is going to have a complete and ongoing list of all kinds of people that are going to be part of this. Now, they're going to have Sally Richardson-Whitfield, who you may remember voicing Elsa Maza in the animation classic Gargoyles, and she's also known to millions of fans as Dr. Allison Blake on Sci-Fi's Eureka. Now, she's also appeared in more than 20 major motion pictures, from I Am Legend all the way through Lowdown Dirty Shame. Now, there's also going to be Greg Wiseman, who's best known as the creator of Gargoyles, but he's also the supervising producer on The Spectacular Spider-Man and the executive producer on the highly anticipated new Disney XD series. Yeah, you already know what I'm going to say. Star Wars Rebels. So there's a lot of great things here. So get ready. Gargoyles is finally going to get some love. And these people have gone on to be powerhouses in the industry. Now, as we continue on news from the D-Wire, let's step away from all the main things like usual. And how about Disney Dreamers Academy teaming up with Steve Harvey to transform lives? Yes, over this last weekend, something magical happened to over a hundred teens looking for an opportunity to make their dream become a reality. They were whisked away from their daily routine to a fairy tale setting of Walt Disney World theme parks and given hope. That's right, the youngsters handpicked from nearly 10,000 applicants are the latest class of young dreamers to pass through the life-changing Disney Dreamers Academy, better known as DDA, in Orlando, Florida. What they experienced in a four jam-packed day session was nothing short of amazing, as it has tailored mentoring, career advice, interactive hands-on classes, and an unprecedented access to celebrities and experts at the top of their fields. Now, in its seventh year, the Academy, in partnership with Steve Harvey and Essence Magazine, continues to hold true its mission to unlock the potential in young people as well as inspire them to unlimited possibilities. Now, as Steve Harvey has said, education is not the most important thing in your life, it's your dream. It is something that you need no matter what. I tell parents all the time, just talk to your children at least once a month to find out what they want and what they dream about because it changes all the time. Their dream propels them to be the best in education. Now, the Disney Dreamers Academy is a life-changing experience that will have an incredible impact on your future, said Tracy Powell, a Disney executive and DDA executive champion. Now, there's a variety of different things with this, and it is fantastic. I mean, nothing like going ahead and adding a little bit of magic and sparking something that is going to help these children just propel them into the future. Now, there are a lot of celebrities that are invited for this, from Entertainment Tonight to NFL veterans and many others. Now, so far, since its inception, over 700 students have passed through the program. Fantastic. Now, moving aside from all those kind of things and making your dreams come true, The Voice. Now, everybody knows The Voice. It's one of many different uh, music competitions out there and things. You know, you have American Idol, The X Factor, The Voice. Well, how about the winner of The Voice making a surprise appearance at Disney? On Saturday, the 10th anniversary of Festival Disney had a special surprise in Walt Disney World where Danielle Bradbury, 17-year-old winner of The Voice, performed at the resort as a final stop on her 
her Music in Our Schools tour that kicked off on March 2nd in Disneyland. Now Bradbury performs songs from her self-titled debut album including The Heart of Dixie, her current top 15 single. Now more than 3,000 people sang and danced along with her at the event. Now the week-long tour that Bradbury has been on has included stops at five high schools across the country where she hoped to inspire students and raise awareness about the importance of music in education. Now, each of the schools received a grant from the National Association for Music Education's Give a Note Foundation, that is a mouthful, and Disney Mouse Car Award. Now, if you watch The Voice, you are familiar with her, but she made that surprise appearance at the Walt Disney World Resort and hoping to raise inspiration in students once again. Now, talking about the Walt Disney Company, let's shift gears there and how about Disney in talks to buy YouTube network maker Studios for $500 million. That is right, the Walt Disney Company has announced this week that it is in discussions and potentially acquiring YouTube multi-channel network Maker Studios, according to reports. Now, Disney's possible deal to buy Maker Studios, which is among YouTube's biggest content providers, would value the YouTube network at more than $500 million or more. Now, the deal could raise as much as $900 million if Maker hits financial performance targets, as Financial Times has reported. Now, to date, Maker Studios has raised more than $70 million, including a $26 million follow-up in its C-Series round last September. Now, Maker Studios rep declined to comment, but Disney reps did not immediately respond to requests to comment as well. Now, as they put it, traditional media is an outlet, but YouTube is something that is bigger. It's something that is going to help the ailing video game-focused YouTube channel, MCN. Now, there's a lot of great things that are in the works for this, and a Disney takeover of Maker Studios, if it actually happens, would represent an unprecedented incursion into the YouTube world by a Hollywood major studio. This is something that hasn't happened before. Think about it. We have everybody that are YouTube stars, YouTube podcasts, and it's all about, you know, pretty much putting out all the information yourself out there. And with Disney doing this, it would bring a major studio and a major part of YouTube to the table. Now, Maker Studios claims it serves over 5.5 billion monthly views with over 380 million subscribers to 50,000 YouTube channels that it owns. Now, since we are talking about the Disney company, how about Disney exec Ann Sweeney stepping down? Yes, Disney and ABC Television Group president Ann Sweeney has decided to step down next January to transition to directing. Now, The Wrap has recently reported that Sweeney has decided to exit the company next January of 2015 and wants to pursue other ventures in television, including directing. Now, Sweeney, who has worked with Disney for 18 years, believes that this is a good time to leave and credits her time at Disney as the highlight of her career. As she has put it, as wonderful as the experience has been, there's always been a nagging voice in the back of my head pushing me to step out of my comfort zone of the executive ranks and move into directing and the creative area that enticed me to TV in the first place. Now, Sweeney joined the networks of Disney, ABC, and ABC Family in 1996 after spending 12 years with Nickelodeon and Nick at Night. Since joining Disney, Anne has been very successful on many of the senior ranks, said Bob Iger in a recent statement. We're thrilled she'll be with us through the end of the year and look forward to having her direct one of our shows in the future. And finally, D-Heads, before I decide to take a break, take a rest, and gear up here at the show, 
Um, you know, let's talk about one other thing coming to Blu-ray and DVD next week on March 18th. That's right. Get ready because Walt Disney Studios is announcing the release of Saving Mr. Banks. We are all excited for this, so I'm not going to go too much into detail about it because we all know the story. We all know about Saving Mr. Banks. I've talked about it here on the show, but now you can get ready because on March 18th, it is getting available. That is right. Right now, you can get it on Blu-ray, digital copy, DVD, digital HD, and on demand as of March 18th. And there's also going to be a variety of different things that are coming with this, including a lot of behind the scenes and extra bonus features as the Walt Disney Studios from Poppins to Present, Let's Go Fly a Kite, and Deleted Scenes. There's a variety of different things that are with this. And get ready for this because Saving Mr. Banks is officially hitting Blu-ray. So all of you D-heads, with that said, all kinds of fun lined up here at the show. You know, I'm going to release the reins. I'm going to get a drink. We are in the new studios. Yes, as I mentioned last week, so much time and effort put into building and expanding the studios and getting our very special guests better sound quality here at the show for you. I am excited because, you know, I'm hoping that this change is going to be something great for all of you D-heads out there. So I'm going to release the reins to Aaron, our D-team member, as he's going to dip his hand into that virtual mailbag and answer all your questions in I Want to Know. And coming up, we have Tom McLaughlin. Yes, from the cult Disney classic, The Black Hole, actor, writer, director, and singer, who's going to be stopping in here very shortly. So before I let you go, I do want to mention that Diz Radio is proudly sponsored by Pixie Vacations. And the agents at Pixie Vacations can help you plan your Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and Vacation by Disney and make it the most magical that you're going to have. Definitely contact them and let them help you plan your vacation at pixievacations.com. And definitely check out the latest issue of WDW Magazine, the digital online magazine that you can get with your iPad, Google Tablet, Android, and more, and read the latest from Walt Disney World and the Walt Disney World Resorts at WDWMag.com. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I'm going to get a drink, take a rest, release the reins to Aaron, and uh, I'll be back as we continue to trek for leprechauns, black holes, and more. Be right back, all of you D-heads. Experience again the incredible adventures of Darby O'Gill and the lost kingdom of the little people. Once you're here, there's no going back. Here's entertainment to delight the entire family with Sean Connery and King Brian, the fun-lovingest leprechaun ever to rule the land of enchantment. Don't miss Walt Disney's Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Rated G. It's a touch of magic from Walt Disney in theaters. The Wishing Song. Oh, I wish I had time to sing you a song. But when I get started, I sing all night long. <laughs> Can you put a right to that? Try me. Go on, then. Oh, singing's no sin, and drinking's no crime. If you have one drink only, just one at a time. <laughs> I wish all the rhymers were like Brian Connors. When it comes to rhyming, he takes all the honors. (laughs) 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 Uh, Can you wait that? Hold your whist. Oh, I knew you could sing when you opened your mug. So you carry the tune, and I'll carry the jug. <laughs> um, will we have another round? There's nothing stopping us. Good. Oh, I wish our barmaids were like Mary McCluskey. McCluskey? 
When she serves you a drink, well, she serves you good whiskey. <laughs> oh, that's a thunder and good rhyme. But husky and husky. Give me the right one. But Mary, she married poor Jimmy McQueen. Cause she wanted her name to rhyme with machine. <laughs> Oh, I've got a good one. So have I. Oh, I wish I was married to old Tony. She's as ugly as she but has beautiful money. <laughs> Hello there, Dreamfinder here. And uh, my friend Ron Schneider's got a wonderful book about me called From Dreamer to Dreamfinder that you should pick up. Uh, but in the meantime, you're listening to Disney On Demand. <laughs> You have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D-Heads, this is Aaron, and I'm back with another installment of I Want to Know. Spring is almost upon us here in Northwest Arkansas, and I can't wait. Hope spring is on its way in your neck of the woods. But the virtual mailbag is full, so let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question this week is from Leo McFuster of Tennessee. And he writes, Aaron of Diz Radio, love the segment and the show. I was watching some old Disney VHS tapes I recorded from the old Vault Disney. One was called One Man's Dream, kind of like the Hollywood Studios tour, but it was maybe the 1980s. I think it had the Stairway to Heaven actor hosting it. And there was a part with Dick Van Dyke even. My tape was really old and cruddy quality. But can you confirm this special, maybe the year, etc.? Thanks a bunch. Well, I wish I'd seen this one. The show you probably saw this documentary on was Disney Nighttime. It ran from 1983 to 1997 and was aimed at adult audiences. Programming seen during Disney Nighttime included older feature films from both Disney and other studios, along with original concert specials, variety specials, and documentaries. Walt Disney didn't run until September 1997 till September 2002. I'm not sure of the specific date that One Man's Dream ran on Disney Nighttime, but Walt Disney One Man's Dream was originally aired on Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Season 28, Episode 12. It aired December 12, 1981. This was a documentary-type show about Walt's dream from animation through to Disneyland and the nail-biting suspense of the opening of Walt Disney World. It also co-starred Michael Landon, the Stairway to Heaven actor, and Dick Van Dyke as presenters at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Each stage of development had its own little section, including a look at the early animation, milestones such as first full color cartoon Flowers and Trees, the integration of animation and live action featuring Mary Poppins clips, and the introduction and development of audio animatronics. Theme park segments featured musical numbers to support the facts, such as the upbeat We Can Do Build a Dream, which features Dick Van Dyke as he and hundreds of helpers get Walt Disney World ready to open by deadline. And earlier in the show, an interesting comment on Walt's own doubts about the opening popularity of Disneyland, where Walt, represented by Michael Landon, walks through the about-to-be-open park singing, What If Nobody Comes. Some of the other hosts included Walter Cronkite, Julie Andrews, and Carl Reiner. 
Unfortunately, I could not find it on DVD. Our next question is from Tommy Brager of Boston, Massachusetts, and he writes, Diz Radio Team, Sunny Eclipse, enough said. Who doesn't love him? I figure this has been answered on other shows, maybe your show, who knows, but instead of searching, I figured I'd ask it and, hey, maybe hear my name on a pod. I'm curious as to who does the voice of Sunny. How long has he been at Walt Disney World, and can you get more than one track from the parks, CDs, anywhere? Well, you're right, Sunny Eclipse is pretty awesome. He's been around since the 90s. Sunny Eclipse, all the way from Unork City, the biggest little star in the galaxy, is an audio-animatronic singer who plays an astral organ found exclusively in Walt Disney World. More specifically, he is found in the restaurant Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe in Magic Kingdom. He provides jazz music for the guests in the Starlight Lounge while they eat. His whole audio loop is roughly 25 minutes. Singer and songwriter Cal David is the voice of Sunny Eclipse. His entire act has never been released, but there are some great YouTube videos you can watch to catch his act. And if you're ever at Walt Disney World, make sure and catch it. It's really enjoyable. Our final question this week comes from Pete W. of Texas. And he writes, Love the show. Y'all really rock the Disney pods. Is one of my must-listen-to Disney shows. Love it. My question for Aaron is about the Muppet show that aired as a TV special, Muppets at Walt Disney World. This was a dream for me, the Muppets and Disney together. I know you can find it on the web often to watch, but my question for you is can you find it on DVD anywhere? Also, what year did it actually air? And since Jim was still alive at this time, did he voice Kermit? Also, this was around the time that Grand Floridian Resort opened, I think. So would that explain the Miss Piggy and Eisner intro at that resort? Thanks so much for the great show. Dedicated D-Hit. Well, The Muppets at Walt Disney World is a television special starring Jim Henson's Muppets at the Walt Disney World Resort. It was part of an awareness campaign to promote the planned merger of the Jim Henson Company with the Walt Disney Company. This was the last Muppet special that Jim Henson worked on before his death on May 16, 1990. The special aired on NBC as part of the Magical World of Disney on May 6, 1990, 10 days before his death. In the television special, the Muppets are visiting Kermit's family for their annual reunion, where they meet up with Kermit's aunts and uncles consisting of Harry, Mary, Larry, Terry, Gary, Perry, and Lou. When the others learn that the swamp is right next to Walt Disney World, they sneak in and are pursued by a security guard named Quentin Fitzwaller. Attractions and areas featured include Big Thunder Mountain, the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, Star Tours, the Mad Tea Party, World Showcase, the Walt Disney World monorail system, and the Utilidors. The story ends with the Muppets having a friendly meeting at Mickey Mouse's office, where the signature char- characters of Walt Disney and Jim Henson compare their company's theme songs, When You Wish Upon a Star and Rainbow Connection, and the ideals behind them. Well, not only did Jim Henson voice Kermit the Frog, but also Rolf the Dog, Dr. Teeth, Link Hogthrob, the Swedish Chef, and Waldorf. I'm not sure why Miss Piggy and Eisner were at the Grand Floridian Resort, but I think it was just had to do with the fact that Miss Piggy was checking in for a stay at the fanciest resort at Walt Disney World. The Grand Floridian Beach Resort opened on June 28, 1988, almost two years before this mission. 
This is not available on DVD, but you can watch it on YouTube. Maybe someday, they will release this special, especially since it's some of Jim Henson's final work. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for the great questions. Keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong, wait and see. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. Beyond man's vision.
but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe. Where the here and now may be forever. And my ship, you ask? It is unavoidable. Moving through space, swallowing everything in its path. Radio waves, light. Are you programmed to speak? Even planets and stars. straight for the black hole. What'll we do? We wait. It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And as we continue to bring you all the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, whether that be films, the wonderful world of Disney, the theme parks, and more, we have somebody that is no stranger to the Disney universe, whether that's in his personal life, professional life, and more. But you may know him from many different things, like Jason Lives, Friday the 13th, as a director and writer. You may also know him as Star, yes, the robot uh, leader from Disney's classic, The Black Hole, we have none other than director, writer, producer, a musician, actor, and more. Tom McLaughlin here. Welcome to Disney On Demand. Thank you so much. Boy, what an introduction. I've got to, I guess, live up to all that, huh? 
Well, you know, your resume is, is I guess, beyond. I mean, there are so many different things to tackle in your resume. I mean, you know, because you are all over the board, not just actor. You know, you're writer, director, and more. So I, I like to lead off with the standard question, just the one thing to set the tone. I guess, what led you down this road in Hollywood, whether that be acting, writing, directing, you name it, I guess, uh, what, what led you to that calling? Well, I guess you could say I'm a true Hollywood kid in that uh, my father came out to uh, – Los Angeles to go to USC film school and he loved the movies and bought a little house literally next to the old MGM studios in um, Culver City. So as a kid from the, I guess the age of seven on, I would uh, on the weekends with my friends hop the fence and go in with our little eight millimeter camera and start making our own movies in the, uh, the back lots of the MGM studios. And of course, these are the days when they had, you know, the incredible sets and things that, uh, you know, from all the classic MGM films over the years. And down the street was uh, Hal Roach, which was, you know, Little Rascals and Laurel and Hardy's. And I went to, you know, a lot of the different things when they were uh, selling off the studio um, and all the stuff in there, you know, go and buy souvenirs and props and so on. And then, of course, I became a huge fan of Disneyland and actually went to uh, Disneyland in the first month of it opening. Uh, my dad made it a very special event, and it, and it really was something. And I've been, you know, a huge, you know, uh, fan of going every time there's a new ride or, you know, when my kids were born, my, my son was there within six months of, his, of age. So, you know, it's very, very much in our, in our blood. Um, but yeah, I kind of went from being, you know, uh, a movie maker as a kid to a magician. And then when the 60s hit and the, you know, the Beatles became obviously something that every guy wanted to have that ability to make girls scream, I decided to go into rock and roll and, uh, became a lead singer in a number of bands. And, uh, we were on the same bill with the doors, uh, the Animals, Iron Butterfly, Love, all these groups. And we were, you know, we were still kids. We were still 15, 16 years old playing these different clubs and venues. And uh, then my career shifted very dramatically um, in 1969-70 when I met Marcel Marceau and he asked me if I wanted to come to his school in Paris. So I left my girlfriend and said goodbye and took off for Paris and, you know, became the starving artist in Paris, uh, you know, learning how to do uh, physical comedy and dance and movement and things, which when I came back to the United States, that became sort of the way I came to learn, you know, how to make my living. Um, Woody Allen hired me uh, to work on the, the movie Sleeper with him and the robot stuff. Uh, I was the Jabberwocky in Alice in Wonderland, um, as you mentioned, Captain Star. I was hired, actually, actually, I was hired to do the black hole to be the robot or sentry and humanoid uh, choreographer, you know, show these guys how to walk and move and so on. And then Gary Nelson, the director of the black hole, said, you know, we're going to create a part for you. And literally, they wrote that um, shooting gallery sequence um, for me to, to do, um, and which was a huge honor, and I think the thing I was most excited about was seeing Captain Star on lunchboxes and, you know, school, you know, supplies and whatnot. I mean, you know, that was a huge honor to suddenly be, you know, a character in a Disney movie. 
And uh, so my career kind of eventually went from actor, performer, uh, into writing and directing. And um, I actually made a PG horror movie uh, called One Dark Night, uh, 1980. And it was sort of a complete departure from the uh, slasher-type movies that were being done at that time. This was just really a frightening, kind of Edgar Allan Poe, claustrophobic, gothic horror movie about uh, a girl who was Meg Tilly, who, again, making the Disney connection. You know, Meg was, her first role was in uh, Tex, uh, which is a Disney movie with Matt, uh, Matthew, um, Matt Dillon. And um, I saw... Uh, some clips from that and then hired her to star, you know, in my movie. And uh, that's kind of become a little cult classic over the years. Uh, and I'm right now working on remaking it, um, make it a little bit more, a little more frightening. I know a lot more than I did there as my first movie. You know, I've made about 40 films since then. So have a lot of things that I want to do, you know, in the remake of it. But that led me to kind of being more of a horror director, even though my, my great passion was was comedies and uh, Frank Capra kind of movies and things. So that went, went to Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, which I did in a kind of a comic fashion, um, kind of did a satirization of the genre at the same time, trying to make a scary Friday the 13th. And... Um, and then that led to me finally doing something I really wanted to do, which is a movie called Date with an Angel, uh, which is a romantic comedy uh, that I had actually got a lot of notes from Frank Capra for, you know, when I was writing it. And he loved the movie and gave us a quote for the movie. And it was a very kind of a unusual fantasy about a, a, a guy who's about to marry the wrong girl. Uh, he doesn't realize that he's got a you know fatal... Um, uh, disease or what do you call it a cancer that that was uh you know he knew nothing about and god sends down this winged angel to take him but she collides with a satellite on her way down breaks her wing lands in this guy's pool and he's got to nurse her back to life uh or nurse her wing so that she can leave again not realizing that when she's well she's going to take him so it's uh you know there's it sounds sort of dark, but again, if you talk about it's a wonderful life, which is essentially it starts with a man about to commit suicide, and Clarence comes down to stop him. This was sort of my little twist on that, and had the beautiful actress Emmanuelle Bayard uh, from France, who played the angel, and Phoebe Cates was the girlfriend, and Michael Knight was the was the star. And uh, things just sort of continued from there. A Stephen King movie uh, into television, number of miniseries and uh, TV movies, Hallmark Hall of Fames, things like that. So it's it's been a really, you know, wonderful, you know, about 30 years of, you know, just being a filmmaker. Well, I mean, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, you've had such a, an illustrious career, you know, like you said, up and down. I mean, everything from the black hole, which, like you said, it had to be fun, you know, seeing everything on lunchboxes and that film itself has gone on to have such a huge cult following, as well as many of your films. I mean, Date with an Angel is considered one of the 80s uh, classics among many. Um, and then you also have, you know, Jason Lives, Friday the 13th. Everybody loves Friday the 13th. I mean, you can't pass up a horror convention where there's lines upon lines of people waiting to meet, um, you know, all the different portrayals of Jason, people behind it. Um, you know, so many different things you've been part of. Um, now, I guess... 
with this and with your you know career of all these different films, um, I guess starting with that first one you talked about in the black hole. Looking back uh, nowadays, um, is it just amaze you that it has this huge, gigantic cult following? Because you know when it first came out, it, it was something different. It was a big departure for Disney in terms of you know sci-fi, a little bit darker. Um, the end of the movie is definitely over the top of something that you wouldn't see in a typical Disney movie. Um, but it just has this great cult following. I mean, I think the film is fantastic. So does that still really uh, amaze you today? Absolutely. I remember um, while we were making it, it, there was sort of this feeling of like, you know, George Lucas came to Disney with Star Wars and he was turned down. And of course, he was turned down at Universal. He's turned down everywhere. And finally, <laughs> it was 20th Century Fox that said, yeah. And then his brilliance was, you know, well, can I have the marketing of the merchandising? And he got that. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously that is probably one of the most incredible things ever is to, to somehow instinctively know this was going to be what it ended up being. But Disney, uh, they wanted, uh, uh, you know, and it was sort of the new regime uh, in those days of, um, oh, who was the son-in-law? I'm blanking on his name. Um, oh, yes, Ron Miller. Ron Miller, yeah. And, you know, Ron, you know, I, I wouldn't hit the dailies every day because I really wanted to be, you know, a writer-director. So anytime I had an opportunity to uh, get in and talk to people at all these different movies that I, I worked on as an actor or as a stuntman or whatever, I, you know, I was in there. And, I mean, it was really interesting to watch it come together. Um, but at the same time, there was that sense of, you know, well, this is a lot darker than... <laughs> Star Wars, and it's certainly very <laughs> unusual for as a Disney movie, but it had, I mean, just to be around the talent there with Ernest Borgnine, and, you know, I became a huge fan of Robert Forrester and ended up actually casting him later on in a movie I did called Murder in Greenwich, because uh, I just loved him in that movie, and Tony Perkins, and, you know, as you know, you know, Yvette Mignot, who was, you know, a heartthrob for me when I was 12, 12 or 14, I can't remember whenever that Dr. Kildare episode was on that all of us young guys went, you know, who is she? So to be able to be in a movie with her was, you know, pretty doggone cool. Um, but, yeah, I guess at the end of the whole thing, there was sort of the sense of, you know, did this work or not work? But what what I've learned now, you know, as I'm, you know, been around long enough, is a lot of the things that we were doing back then, even though they might not have been box office popular or, you know, um, you know, come and go kind of thing is that once things go on to, you know, videotape and now, of course, it's DVD and now, you know, streaming, it keeps changing. But there are audiences of really young, you know, kids who saw this stuff when they were very young and it became something really special to them um, because of the age of which they saw it. And I tell people this all the time because I'm getting more fan mail for my Friday the 13th, Jason Lives, than ever before. I mean, I get letters every week. I get asked to be, you know, be Facebook friends with people, um, you know, conventions, all this stuff. Um, my Friday, this last Friday the 13th was voted by the fans their favorite um, because I tried to make more of a fun picture than just, you know, uh, you know, kill them as they go down in front of Jason. Um, I wanted to, have, you know, try to make a real movie out of it and, you know, and do a lot of things that hadn't been done. And, you know, you find that um, this, there's a generation that looks at 
Freddy Krueger, at Jason, um, at Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, the Hellraiser uh, uh, pinhead character, uh, as, you know, like monster heroes. Like, that was the great age of great monsters. Now, when I was growing up, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, you know, all the universal monsters – and I remember older folks would say, like, what? You know, that's that, that's special to you? And it's like, well, we saw them on TV when we were growing up, and they became, you know, our monsters. So it seems like that's the same way here. And whether it's, you know, the black hole and the characters in the black hole that are very, very well loved now, um, or as I said, even the, you know, the darker characters, that nostalgia means everything. Um, and it just kind of depends on what, you know, what age you are when you, when you see something. Definitely. You know, and it's the kind of thing where it does resonate like that. Like you said, it is a certain age, something sticks with you. And, you know, that's going to lead me back to a variety of different things. You've, you know, you mentioned the great, uh, horror monsters of the eighties, as well as the original universal and many things sticking with you as you're a kid. And you mentioned that, you know, the grand opening of Disneyland and, you know, you've been part of, you know, that you were there for that as well as, um, you know, as we've mentioned, you know, off air that, you know, you have all the posters and things uh, surrounding your house. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, how did that love of Disney and being there for that really play, uh, I guess, a definitive role in your life? Well, I guess I, <laughs> I, I guess if you were to put a, put me in a box or give me a label, you would say, you know, I have the, you know, Peter Pan syndrome. I'm refusing to grow up. Um, in fact, as I'm getting older, I'm really going back to things that I wanted to do years ago that, you know, didn't happen or, um, things that, you know, I loved years ago that I'm kind of going back and rediscovering. And there was something that happened, you know, when, as a kid with Disneyland, with, um, you know, the horror stuff, the, the, the fantasy, the, you know, being uh, afraid of the witch in Snow White or, or, you know, or the witch in Wizard of Oz, all that kind of darker stuff that if it scares you and then you come in and sort of tackle your fears, you know, it becomes something that's that's really cool to you and really interesting. And the, the whole thing that Walt created was like, you know, a world that you could go and everything was scaled down in, on Main Street that made you feel more comfortable, the use of color, the different lands you could go to, you know, we you just did not, you know, they wished to push us out the door, you know, at the end of the day, you know, because we really didn't want to leave. And the first time they did a 24-hour Disneyland, boy, we were all there. We were in our late teens, I think, um, maybe early 20s, but we stayed up all night to be able to say, you know, we just stayed at the park, you know, as late as we could possibly go. Um, you know, the dream was to sleep on Tom Sawyer's Island that nobody would catch you, you know. It was just that thing of loving those fantasy things and kind of refusing to let that go. So it kind of carried that into one's livelihood, you know, and, and the kinds of movies that I've made. Um, you know, I've done two movies with Santa Claus, um, developed a movie called fairy tale a true story you know was the co-writer and a producer on that and uh in date with an angel so it's been you know kind of bigger than life things but what what i've noticed with a lot of my stuff is i was you know just a thing about sometimes being ahead of the curve you know you come up with something and everybody goes 
why, why that? I don't get it. Who's done that before? And you go, well, no one. That's why it's new. And it's like, mm, you know, there's there's a thing in show business about it's better to be second than first because first is always very, very hard. I mean, it was amazing George Lucas got Star Wars through. And, you know, Spielberg, when he made E.T., I was taking around the my angel piece, but no one wanted, you know, anything with a fantasy character. It just wasn't, you know, accepted. Once E.T. came along and then Disney Splash, Splash had a lot to do with the, you know, me being able to get date with an angel greenlit. I, I had the inevitable comparisons from the critics, but for a lot of people, it was special in that it, you know, she came from a different place than where a mermaid came. And the real irony was that uh, uh, Anson Williams, the actor from Happy Days, he was my producer for Date with an Angel. And we were going around together, and we looked like we were getting very close to getting a deal at Columbia Studios when Anson called me. He goes, uh, I think we're going to have to back off our project. And I said, why? He said, I was just talking with Ron Howard, and uh, he's got this mermaid movie. I didn't even know he had it, and it looks like Disney's going to do it. So I, I, you know, I just can't see how we're ever going to get this made until they do theirs and see if it's successful or not. And, of course, it was. And then by the line came Mannequin and a lot of, you know, movies <laughs> about fantasy women. So, uh, as I said, by the time I got mine made uh, with Dino De Laurentiis, and he was just greenlighting all these movies, um, you know, for Peter Bogdanovich and uh, David Lynch's Blue Velvet and William Friedkin and Bruce Beresford and somehow little old me got my date with an angel in that in that group with these lofty other directors. Um, but it was kind of well after the curve. Same thing with fairy tale. No one wanted to make a movie about two little girls in 1919 who photographed fairies that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who had stopped writing Sherlock Holmes because he believed in the supernatural and theology and things, uh, and his good friend Harry Houdini, you know, he was debunking all that kind of stuff, saying it's just not real. That that's you know that story just wasn't working, and we took it everywhere. And you even got well, if you turned it into little boys, had it happen in America, and changed the fairies to aliens, maybe we think about it. It's like no, 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 this is for girls. This is the whole idea of making a movie spec. So you know, finally, we pitched it to a, a producer, Wendy Feinerman, who said who cried at the end, that loved it, said I need to go and do this other movie. Uh, and when I come back, this is the next thing. And I said, uh, oh, okay. So cut to a year later, she produced Forrest Gump. And, you know, Paramount said, what do you want to do next? And she said, the fairy movie. So that's what, you know, finally got it going. But when I was researching it, you couldn't find books on fairies. The only fairies that existed were the Disney fairies. Um, and since that time, I think you've seen that now there's a whole thing about fairies and, you know, and, you know, whole, you know, cartoons and uh, merchandising and so on that's come around there. But just like with angels, the only angel book I could find when I was researching it, uh, it was, uh, you know, a, um, like a, a biblical history of angels in, in, uh, uh, paintings and so on, and then Billy Graham had written a religious book about angels, and that was it. You know, there was no other place to go. And fairies, either you were doing it in animation, or or they were, uh, you know, something that you read in Irish tales, you know, or English uh, fairy tales and so on. 
So it's some, as I said, sometimes you you know you, you happen ahead of the curve, and it's kind of hard you know to get things going. But I'm very proud that you know I, I did get these things made, and they have a lot of personal uh, touches in them that are very much you know part of my life. Definitely, and you know, like you said, you know, uh, bringing it back to a fairy tale. I mean, you know, that right there is a fantastic story. I mean, you know, making it with aliens and boys just wouldn't have cut it. I mean, it is one of my daughter's favorite films, and you know, I mean, you know, uh, visiting that story of the cunningly, uh, you know, girls, and I, I guess the, a big hoax. You know, it's the kind of thing is, um, you know, when you were researching this and a film like this, um, like you said, there weren't many stories, you know, books of fairies or things like that. Um, did you find yourself mesmerized that uncovered? I guess the truth of the hoax and everything else and trying to put that into a nice heartwarming uh, tale because at the end of the film it really does it never really answers any questions but at the same time just leaves it up to your imagination well the interesting thing Jonathan is is that when we first were you know we're working on the script the movie was going to be bookended with the BBC coming in uh, I believe it was the 1970s out to Cottingling to interview the two old women, you know, Elsie and Francis, because they were finally going to tell the truth. They were finally going to reveal how they created the fairies. And then it goes into the whole movie. And then at the end, they come back and the BBC leaves. And the two old ladies said, well, what do you feel like? And, you know, after we did that, and she goes, you know, well, I guess, I guess it sort of wraps it up. And, you know, I, I, you know, poor Arthur, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, you know, he he never would not believe this. And it's like, yeah, she goes, you know, well, why don't we go out into the, the Glen one more time? And as they go out, you know, uh, Francis turns to Elsie and she goes, you know, you know, you know the truth. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I do. And as they walk out, you begin to see the little sparkles and stuff, you know, come up out of out of there. And the truth is, you know, Francis never let go of the belief. She said, okay, yes, we did fake it, but that's because we couldn't actually photograph the fairy. So we had to do something because no one believed us, but they were there and they're still there. So that magic, that belief, that ability as Walt and the Imagineers and all these people to create things for us to fantasize and and, and want to believe to me is more important than anything else and even you know biblically it's you know uh, the children you know shall lead them and it's what i've always looked at is the the imagination of a child the excitement of discovery you know all those things a lot of the movies i make uh deal with teenagers as well as kids and teenagers you know the first time you get you kiss the first time you fall in love the first time you've been rejected the first dance you know, all those things that first time when things happen have such an impact and you carry that through the rest of your life. You know, you you operate on all that data, good and bad. And so to me, to be able to go in there and, and find, you know, the enchanting things, to find the magical things, to find that uh, ability to say to somebody, okay, I'm going to show you something, and you might call it a ghost, but as far as I'm concerned, it's energy that we just don't understand and it's like, oh, that can't be. And it goes, oh, all right, well, then, you know, let's go back about 30 years, and I would hold up my cell phone and go, if you told people that you had a computer in your hand and you could watch movies and you could talk to people and you could, you know, use it as a camera, and, there's, you know, the, it's like you would never, ever believe it. 
you know, first time we saw television. It's like, how do you put it in that box and there's nothing there but a wire? Unbelievable stuff. And there's things that we just don't really know yet or we've called other things for many years because scientifically we haven't been able to prove them. You know, you have to have, you know, a scientific, you know, if I do this and then this and you get this result, which is what science is. Many of the things that we believe in the different cultures and stuff, it really has a lot to do with the power of belief, whether you accept it or don't accept it, until it becomes something that's scientific and can be proven. And as far as I'm concerned, there's so many things that we have yet to discover. And we'll, we'll get back to a lot of the just basic things. It's like, oh, that's what that is. I didn't know that. I mean, the, you know, being able to levitate things or all these powers that the you know, the great minds have come up with and you think, oh, that can't happen. You know, I believe if you if you dream it, it's real. And um, like Walt said, you know, Disneyland will never be complete, you know, unless there's no more imagination in the world. And I think all of us who love imagination want to, you know, keep following that, that you know, a statement of his that it's so important just to keep looking for it and discovering these these wonderful things. Definitely. You know, and you touch base upon that too, where, uh, you know, if you dream it, you can do it. And, you know, that's it's so true for everything, whether that's your career, writing, directing, acting, as well as, you know, like true with Disney, you know, and what he has done with his parks. Now, you actually go farther back with Disney too, with, uh, you know, with your family crest, and you have a connection there as well. Now, I don't want to spoil it for all of our listeners, so I'll let you tell about it. But, you know, you, you actually go all the way back to, you know, early days of Walt and his original team, uh, with this family crest, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, I live uh, in Glendale, California, uh, which has become <laughs> pretty much the whole, you know, Disney employees now are like all around me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, two doors up is, is, is the, you know, the, ma- the main man for Disney records. And down the street, of course, you know, I can see the Disney studios from my back window and, um you know, the animate, the you know, Imagineers uh, work out here. So I really feel fortunate that I ended up moving here and then sort of that world kind of spilled over from Burbank, you know, over into Glendale. But um, I was at the Burbank uh, Mall many, many years ago. Uh, my son had just been born, and we went by one of the AMC theaters, and there was these beautiful Disney um like on the windows that had been painted, um, as they do at Christmas time, you know, with different Christmas things. But it was all Disney characters. And I went, wow, whoever did that really has some talent. And I looked down in the corner, and it said L. Iwerks. And I went, Iwerks? I mean, how <laughs> how many times in your life you are going to hear that last name? That's a very unusual name. And there was a phone number. So I called it, and it was a young woman, Leslie Iwerks, who was indeed the granddaughter of Obi Works. And, um, you know, as a lot of the fans know, you know, he was very much involved with the creation of Mickey Mouse and uh, particularly Steamboat Willie. So uh, Leslie then started actually painting my front window every year in some, whatever the Disney movie was that year that was being released, we would tie it in, you know, with it, uh, with, you know, the Disney characters as well as um, some little Christmassy thing. And there was, you know, the Little Mermaid or Belle or whatever the movies were, that was it. And then at one point I said, you know, could you do my McLaughlin family crest on top of the fireplace? Because I want to have something, 
you know, because she was at USC and she was moving on to being a, a terrific filmmaker and documentarian. And for, again, a lot of the fans out there, they probably know The Hand Behind the Mouse was the documentary she made about her grandfather um, and his involvement with Disney. And so she painted our uh, family crest you know, above our fireplace so that, you know, although the windows had to be washed off every year, at least that that is there in the house. And, you know, I don't plan on leaving this place until I go out feet first, you know, um, in the other, you know, not, not vertically. So as far as I'm concerned, this is like, you know, one of the wonderful other touches of the history of, of the Disney traditions and, the, you know, the creators to have in the house. And as you had mentioned, I mean, I've got about, 30 of the full-size Disney um, attraction posters that I collected over the years. So pretty much any space in this house, much to my wife's uh, frustration, has got a Disney ride on it. But she's come to accept it, and our whole house is very much like a little mini castle, too. Which You know, you, you kind of see, you know, our minds on the walls of this place when people walk in. It's like... Do you work for Disney? I go, no, I'm unfortunately not now, but I, I would love to again because it's, you know, it, it is so much a part of me, whether I, you know, was working there or that I kind of take a lot of those same, you know, beliefs and, and uh, desires and dreams and, you know, a sense of that's the stuff that stays with people. Definitely. You know, and like you said, um, you know, it's one of those things where it stays with you, it sticks with you. And, you know, you've had so many different things throughout your career. Now, that's going to lead me to, you know, another side note is, you know, actually writing a book and, uh, you know, telling the tales of your career and all the different things. Now, that's something that you're currently working on, correct? No, that's done, actually. That um, just actually will, I think they start printing it out uh, the end of this month. So it should you know, be out in wherever they do books these days. I know, obviously, Amazon, all the <laughs> internet things, and I would guess the few left standing, the, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble and stuff, and that's been a very heartbreaking to see how many things have gone down over the years, because I love going into bookstores, and that's the smell and the, you know, the thing of finding a book you didn't know existed, or when researching and finding, because as, as I said, I've was a huge research nut, especially when I was doing subjects that, um, you know, there was no internet then, you know, you really had to do that. But yeah, the book, um, the book came about is because I've done, you know, a number of horror movies and dealt with both, you know, fantasy horror figures and a Stephen King thing. And then I kind of veered off into when I did television, I was doing real monsters. In other words, um, global warming, uh, racial unrest, um, AIDS, um, serial killers. Uh, I did the DC Sniper. I did the Michael Skakel murder, murder in Greenwich, uh, Lori Dan. I mean, just all this. So I, you know, I've got this, you know, fascination with the dark side of man. But at the same time, to me, it was always trying to find out the human side. Um, if I've learned one thing, particularly from Frank Capra over the years, is that, you know, it's a people-to-people -people medium, and you have to care about the people, even the villains. And when the villains, sometimes they become understandable, that's even more frightening because it's like, gee, I think like that sometimes. Could that be me? 
And all these people, you know, whether they end up having bad upbringing or something genetic um, or just were socially treated really bad, there's always reasons why this thing happens. And, you know, we do want to escape from it, but at the same time, it's it's there among us. And when I had children, I was very active in, you know, uh, children protection and things because it's like I didn't want somebody else's child to hurt my child or somebody else's grown-up child to hurt my child. Um, so it became, you know, of great importance. So in I did a documentary uh, I was interviewed for um, called uh, Nightmare, uh, American Nightmares in Red, what's it called? Nightmares, American Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, I think, was the the title. That he'd kill me if I don't remember it correctly. Um, American Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, I think that was the thing. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. That's, <laughs> that's it. America's not in it. But um, it was me. It was John Carpenter. It was George Romero. It was Mick Garris. Um, it was uh, Roger Corman. I mean, again, I felt incredibly honored to be among all these incredible horror people, the Joe Dante. I mean, it was just amazing amount of people. And we all talked about how horror affected us, why we ended up doing what we were doing, and um, kind of where we came from and stuff. Well, when I finished the interview, Joe Madri, who this was his project, said, uh, has anyone ever done a book on you? And I said, why? Why would they want to? And he goes, well, I don't, I've interviewed a lot of filmmakers and I've never met anybody who grew up in the back lots of MGM, was a magician, then a rock and roller, then a mime, then a filmmaker, and then so diverse on the films from horror to, you know, Santa Claus to angels to serial killers to, you know, and the path of uh, of also that you make your family so much a part of your work. And I said, well, that came from meeting Francis Ford Coppola once and saying what's important. And he said, your family, you cannot, you know, make them second. They have to be part of what you do. And obviously you've seen it in his work with Sophia and Roman. And, you know, he's always kept his wife and those certainly part of all those early movies. So I'm, you know, I took that to heart. And so when I would go on location, you know, the whole family always came. And either they had parts in the movies or, you know, they, they were there to sort of enjoy, you know, the area that I was working in, whether it was in England or New Zealand or somewhere in Canada. So he sat down with me, Joe, and said, okay, we're going to start from your birth in St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica and take it all the way up to present day. And he went out and watched every single movie I ever did, plays that were on tape, um, the TV shows, episodes of things, everything. And then he formed a number of questions. And he, for the first time, somebody was actually telling me how many things tied together, how this was a period when I was de dealing with maybe just teen issues because my kids were teenagers. And that really interested me or family things or maybe you know, things in relationships, you know, problems or whatever. Um, and he did a, you know, heck of a job of, you know, turning a flashlight on me. And it, for the first time, I looked backwards, which I never do. You know, it's all about there's still more things to do. i got to keep going. And it was really interesting to go back and kind of look at stuff and see it through somebody else's perspective about the stuff that was really you. And at the end of it, I said, boy, you know more about me than I know. 
That's that's amazing. So he took a line from my uh, something that, that I had written for um, uh, the, my Friday the Thirteenth, which is some folks have a strange idea of entertainment, which was uh, where one of the characters actually broke the fourth wall, looked into the camera, and said that regarding picking up Jason. So, you know, and so he said, "I think I'd be a great title." You know, a strange idea of entertainment. So, you know, that's what the title of the book is, you know, Conversations with Tom McLaughlin. So it's, you know, obviously all my words and how I describe things, but he really fashioned it in a way that, you know, all the different, um, you know, periods and all the different things what, that kind of touched upon one another in some way, shape, or form. And then the most bizarre thing, which is the way the book starts, is with a... Um, my wife threw my 60th birthday party at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which is where I shot One Dark Night. And, you know, there was all my friends turned out and my best friend, Stephen Banks, who actually we did a Disney's Showtime special together called uh, um, Stephen Banks' Home Entertainment Center many years back. Um, and Stephen read this, you know, kind of tribute, which... To me, it was like, wow, my life is over. Listen to this. <laughs> they're, talking, they're summing up everything, and here I am at the cemetery, and and uh, and it, you know, it, it's kind of where the book begins, and then kind of goes, you know, into everything, you know, that I did. But that motivate motivated me to do something that most people would find very bizarre, but it kind of fits into my kind of way of thinking. Is after the birthday party, I went back to Hollywood Forever Cemetery to thank them for, you know, allowing the facilities to be used for birthday party and stuff. And, of course, they're very open. They do movies there on the summer nights and things. But um, I ended up buying a crypt there and started making payments over the years for this crypt in the mausoleum where my first movie was made, around the corner from Peter Lorre, down the hall from Rudolph Valentino, just outside of uh, – of Toto's memorial and uh, Harry Cohen and Victor Fleming and so many of the, you know, the C.B. DeMille. And I thought, you know, I thought, I I want to say, okay, here I know now where I'm going to end up. Now I've got 40 more years to do as many things as I can do, hopefully make the kind of movie I still haven't made. And I can't even tell you what that is. I'll sort of know it when it happens. And, um, and it, you know, as opposed to being a, for me, a, a sad thing, it actually was wonderful because I thought, well, I can't think of a better place to be, you know, to be and be surrounded by all these wonderful people that inspired me. Plus, there's a whole thing that I feel like, you know, it's even when it's over, it's not over. There's plans I have in terms of doing one more thing after I'm gone that I, I kind of lay out in the book. And there's also a documentary um, that's on the Internet about that because I somehow think you can still, you know, you can still be a presence and you can still do something after you're gone. After all the kind of research I did, uh, have done over the years about that sort of subject. And so since that time, you know, uh, out of nowhere, I get a call to, from somebody I've not talked to since I was 16 uh, about reforming our rock and roll band. And I was like, really? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, we would just 
magazine wants to do an article. And I said, why? And it's like, well, the record that the group did just before I joined the group made a small, tiny record called Making Love that nobody wanted, kind of was lost, became a kind of a cult classic in the 80s on a, a compilation called Back from the Grave um, in the group called The Sloth. And um, we did this these magazine uh, interviews and stuff. I said, well, why don't we get together in a garage again like we did when we were kids and just play, which some of us had not even picked up an instrument in 40-something years. I know I had not sang in 45 years. And out of that sort of Wednesday night ritual, and then somebody offered us a job to come, or just an appearance, and we figured, okay, well, we're going to do it in San Diego. No one will see us down there, you know, if it's horrible. And, And if it is horrible, we'll laugh and say, you know, what do you expect? We're a bunch of old guys. But exact opposite happened. You know, people went crazy, and we forgot about cell phones, and we ended up on YouTube. And from there, since we started in 2011, we've done almost 70 shows. Uh, we've recorded two songs that are um, out now on iTunes and you know uh, all the usual internet things and the CDs we sell at our shows. You know, played the uh, Ponderosa Stop in New Orleans. We're in uh, Spain in December at the Purple Weekend. We'll be going back to Europe later on this year to do you know more shows there and it's this unbelievable strange thing of having a bunch of guys you know in their early 60s going back and playing with the same energy the same passion a lot of the exact same songs that we did in 65 66 and saying you know hey you know it's not about age or anything else it's about fulfilling your dreams and if it's going to take you 40 45 years to do something you wanted to do when you were 15 16 that's the message you know, and that, as I said, we have the same kind of passion and excitement and, uh, you know, uh, just get the audience as stirred up and excited as possible. And a lot of our biggest following are, you know, basically the people in their late teens, early, early 20s, because they've never heard that mu- music played live. You know, early Rolling Stone songs, Yardbird songs animal songs and stuff, as well as the songs we're writing are very much in that vein. So we're really kind of doing something that we know from back when and saying, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, being done by guys that should be on golf carts, you know, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're not interested in that. We're, you know, we're part of this whole baby boomer who doesn't, they don't want, you know, for whatever reason, we don't want to quit until somebody you know, closes the coffin lid on us. But that's kind of where the whole group's going and kind of where my mind has been and sort of what the book is about is just keep going for your dreams and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Definitely, you know, and that's the kind of thing too where, you know, with the book and with, you know, everything you've done, you know, like you said, continue to go on, continue to do it, continue to push forward, you know, whether that's playing music, bringing this back live, you know, your entire career of all your different movies and, uh, you know, acting, writing, directing. And we know that you, you know, you have so much on your plate, so many different things. I guess when it all comes down to it in the end, like you said, you're you're happy to know exactly where you're going to end up. I guess, is there any final lasting words that you'd want to leave for all your fans out there, whether that be from the horror genre, Disney stuff, you know, the black hole, your music, you name it. Is there anything you'd like to leave out there for them? I... You know, there was a quote that I heard many, many years ago um, about vision. 
that I think is really important because it taps into kind of what I want to do um, after I'm gone and what I'm doing now and kind of what I'm passing on to. I'm teaching directing class at uh, Chapman University uh, in Orange, which, again, is about two miles from Disneyland. And when the fireworks go at 930, you know, I always come outside to watch them. Um, but as I pass on to them that the the whole idea of vision, you know, is being able to see something that is invisible to the eye. And by see, I mean literally you're, you know, you're feeling it, you see it, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it, you get this instinct and you can't quite put it in words and you have to do it. And I think anybody that's been very, very successful unless you just happen to be lucky, you know, which does happen, is that you, you know, you you really have to, you know, just hang in there, be persistent, keep going, have that sense of I can't not do this. It's like, yeah, all right, I'm going to take this job, I'm going to work and, you know, here and I'll make enough that, you know, but I have to keep doing this, whether it's writing or music or acting or, you know, any any of the of the arts, um, and then even if it's not that, if you ask, you know, if your aspirations are to be a certain type of business person or sell a certain type of product, there has to be something in you that you just can't see yourself ever not doing it. Um, and some people choose one thing and they completely are happy. I'm a little more ADD, I guess. <laughs> I've got to jump every 10 years into some other completely different career um, and there's usually something else going on at the same time. You know, I'm still writing scripts and things. But right now, if you say, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm, I'm the lead singer of a rock and roll band, and I teach a directing class. And on the side, you know, I'm writing scripts and hoping to get my next movie made at some point. Um, but, you know, all that stuff is, is, again, part of that need to be creative, that need to share and one of the greatest blessings I think that you can do in this business is pass that on to the next generation. I mean, I I love these young, you know, undergraduates and the graduates who are coming in with their ideas and their dreams and their hopes and to be there to say anything I can do to help you. You know, you need a letter of recommendation, you need a door open, you need, you know, an idea bounced off of somebody. Because when people did that for me, that meant everything you know, coming up. And I feel that that's one of the obligations of any of us who have had the good fortune and blessing to be able to work in this incredible industry is you've got to pass it on and you can't be afraid of the next generation coming up, taking your work. You need to celebrate the fact that, yeah, well, that was you at one point, you know, and remember how that feels and how exciting it is and just say, you know, I want to see you do something that I never thought of, and I, you know, and I, you know, I want to feel that excitement. And when you see groundbreaking things like Gravity, I saw that movie. I thought I've never seen that before. I never thought that was possible yet, you know. And it's just going to keep going from there. It, it's just amazing, you know, the things that that we can do. And I know there's some things coming up at Disney because uh, I have a few people who work there, um, and they can't really talk about it, but I, you know, I got a sense of some of the things that there's some incredibly exciting things that are coming out of the studio and also into the parks. And, uh, you know, that I love because what Walt did, you know, in the beginning with the, the, the mouse and the cartoon that made you cry, the Snow White, 
you know, that tradition carries on, and that's to me a wonderful thing. Definitely, you know, and like you said, you know, it's, you know, pick that one thing, the one thing that you know is going to drive you, and, you know, you've left a legacy to, to uh, you know, I'm basically, I, I hate to say infect, but it will infect many people in terms of it's going to, you know, jump them into, you know, whether that's the acting bug or the writing bug, directing, music, you know, so, you know, it was our pleasure having you on. Everything from Jason Lives, Friday 13th, Part 6, you know, One Dark Night, Date with an Angel, sometimes they come back, you know, in great films like The Black Hole, you know, Incredible Shrinking Woman, um, you know, music now, being the lead singer of a band. I mean, so many different things. You know, we we appreciate the time you've taken out of your busy schedule to talk with all of us here. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to seeing what else we can see come out of you because I foresee many, many years yet to come of uh, all different things and definitely waiting for the book. Well, that's, I hope so, too. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, <laughs> it's, what keep, it's what makes me when I get up in the morning, you know, put my feet on the ground and say, okay, today's another adventure. It was our pleasure, Tom. You know, we appreciate you stopping in and you are always welcome back anytime. Great. I really appreciate that. And uh, I thank everybody for listening and hope I said something inspirational because to me that's, you know, the whole key is, you know, those, those of us who've gone down these different paths and there was a lot of people that said you can't. And then there's a lot of people that, like Frank Capra said to me, just do it. I said, but there's all this just do it. And he's right. That's really what it gets down to. Just do it. This is the story of the black hole. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. The explorer ship USS Palomino was speeding home toward Earth. Her weary crew had spent many months in space, searching for planets where humans could live. Although their mission was over, their greatest adventure was about to begin. As the crew went about its duties, the image of a gigantic black whirlpool began to form on the scanner screen. Dr. Kate McRae watched in amazement. What incredible power! It's swallowing comets! Planets, even stars. A black hole, exclaimed Vincent, the ship's robot. The deadliest force in the universe. Nothing can escape it. Charlie, the youngest crew member, had another surprise. Captain Holland, there's a ship sitting motionless on the edge of the black hole. It's not being sucked in. According to the computer, it's the USS Cygnus. But that's impossible. The Cygnus disappeared 20 years ago. And how could any ship defy the force of a black hole? Disney On Demand, a new kind of Disney show. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. Hello there. So glad you could come along. I am the Dream Finder. <laughs> Musical notes. What delightful melodies those will make. I love these flights of fancy. Searching the universe for sounds, colors, ideas, anything that sparks the imagination. A sunbeam. That's a good one. Oh, 
everything I collect can inspire amazing and marvelous new ideas. And you never know what kind of figment you may come up with. Oh, here's my favorite. Two tiny wings, eyes big and yellow, horns of a steer, but a lovable fellow. From head to tail, he's royal purple pigment, and there, voila! You got a figment, a figment of imagination. <laughs> Dreamfinder, I'm just right. Ah, uh, 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 not quite. Huh? I'll throw in a dash of childish delight. <laughs> Look, figment, some new friends have joined us. Can they imagine too? Of course. Imagination is something that belongs to all of us. You mean everyone can think up new things? <laughs> That's right, figment. And every sparkling idea can lead to even more. So many times we're stumbling in the dark, and then you What a spark! How are we going to use lightning? Hmm. We can combine it with ghostly shivers on a stormy night <laughs> and turn them into a tale of fright. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, look, look, a rainbow. How do you use that? You paint with. Now you've got it. Wow, wow, wow. Numbers, letters, papers for writing, costumes, makeup, stages for lighting, tears off laughter. <laughs> what about science? Science? We'll need electron beams and crystal prisms, gyroscopes and magnetism, holy grail Hold and on, pigment. Why? The idea bag is full. It is? Let's start making new things. Now, wait. First, we must store these ideas with the others in the dream port. Are we almost there? Oh, the dream port is never far away when you use your imagination. Come on, everybody. Let's we go. We all have sparks. Imagination. Yeah. That's how our minds create creations. <laughs> right at the start of everything that's new, one little spark lights up for you. Oh, boy. Imagination. Imagination. A dream can be a dream come true with just that spark in me and you. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. It's Disney On Demand. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, LVD heads, so I'm back once again, and the show has been running really long here this week. So you know what? We are out of time here this week. But I do want to extend a very special thank you to our very special guest, Tom McLaughlin, stopping in here once again. Definitely check out the cult Disney classic, The Black Hole, as well as many other things that he's written, directed, and acted in. From Date with an Angel, Friday the 13th Part 6, A Fairy Tale, and many other classics. Thank you, Tom, once again for stopping in and sharing all the magic, fun, and taking that trip through your lifetime of Disney and sharing it with us. Thank you, Tom, once again for stopping in. I'd also like to thank the D-Team of Aaron for dropping by here this week and answering all of your questions with I Want to Know. Definitely remember, shoot Aaron an email if you have any questions at all, whether that's about music, movies, you name it, the parks, anything at all. Put Aaron to the test, and let's see if he can answer your questions. So thank you, Aaron, for stopping in. And most of all, thank all of you, the D-Heads. Without you, we wouldn't be here every single week bringing you these shows. You are the reason that we bring these guests on the show and help you relive your lifetime of Disney with all the magic, memories, and more. So thank you for tuning in and making the show happen. We truly do it for you. 
So all of you D-heads, with that said, I hope you enjoyed this week's show. I hope you enjoyed the kickoff of our newest upgrades to the DoD76 Studios, our special guest here this week debuting the all-new system and hardware here in the studios, and more. So before I let you know who's going to be stopping in next week here at the show, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at Disney On Demand. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z-Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete archives, connect up with the D-Team, listen to our Lifetime of Disney player, and find our latest news blogs and more right there on our website, dizradio.com, D-I-Z radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can friend us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and more. Just search Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. And remember, you can always subscribe to our show and get it right there on your mobile devices, your iPods, your iPads, your Androids, and more. Just search Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, in iTunes and Stitcher Radio and get the latest shows right there in your hand. So all of you D-heads, with that said, we hope you had a fun time venturing through the black hole here a little bit this week and gearing up for St. Patrick's Day around the corner with a little bit of luck of the Irish. So thank you once again for stopping in, and next week for show number 67, we're going to go back to maybe your childhood, maybe your children's childhood, or maybe you just loved it in general. Maybe you love puppeteering because we have none other than Noel McNeil stopping in here at the show. That's right, Noel McNeil is the puppeteer, the man, the voice behind Bear in the Big Blue House. You may also remember him as Madam Chairbird from Follow That Bird. He's performed a variety of different Muppets with The Muppet Show. He was also Sweetums in Muppets Letters to Santa and many other things, including from my childhood with The Great Space Coaster. So get ready, all of you D-heads, because next week we have Noel McNeil stopping in here at the show actor, performer, puppeteer, and author stopping in here for show number 67. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Get ready for St. Patrick's Day. Catch those leprechauns. Maybe you can find the little people with Darby O'Gill. And until next week, remember, never neglect family for business. See you online and catch you next week, D-heads. That's right. Dreams come true. What? Dreams come true. Keep going. Dreams come true. Dreams come true. Me. I believe it's time we took our leave of this little party. Wait for me! Imbeciles! And you! You may have the power of dreams on your side this time, but just you wait. One day the kingdom will stop believing, then all will be lost. Remember, you haven't seen the last of me! <laughs> you did it! By believing in your dreams, you saved the day! Gorge, Donald. That sure was something standing up to that mean old Maleficent. I was nothing. Well, Donald, because of you, we all still have our dreams. That's right, Donald. By remembering about the power of dreams, you reminded us all that when we believe in ourselves and our friends and our family, why, there's nothing we can't do. Gee, when you find the dream inside your heart, anything is possible. Dreams come true.
Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.